The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of our History of Gear series, we talk with Dave Moore, the Heritage and Digital Asset Manager for Carhartt. We talk about the ROI of archives, the history of the Carhartt collection, and his personal journey into working in corporate archives. This is Chase, and uh, joining me today is Dave Moore, the Heritage and Digital Asset Manager uh, for Carhartt. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. That's it's great to have you on on the podcast. Um, we've been doing this History of Gear series. Uh, really, wow, we're coming up on a year. We did our first history episode, really, when everything started to shut down last year, March, um, and I just started talking with. Um, Bruce Johnson, who is kind of a, he's an amateur, I hate calling him an amateur historian, but he's not, he's not formally trained, but he's, he's been preserving the history of, of outdoor brands and interviewing, um, you know, some of these gear pioneers. And he's built a website called the history of gear. Um, And that's where this started a year ago is, um, you know, having conversations and trying to help preserve the history of the industry. Um, And then it's since grown into kind of a, a sub-series within the History of Gear series, we talk with corporate archivists about the work that they're doing and how important it is. So appreciate you being being on to talk about all the work that you're doing at Carhartt. Um, it's, it's a whole field I wasn't really familiar with is this world of corporate, you know, being a corporate archivist. Um, Until I got into it, neither was I. So right. well, that's, <laughs> that's what I want to learn more about is how you got into this space. Sure, right? yeah. First of all, like, what was your connection to the, you know, Carhartt is, is kind of outdoor, but more and more it's now fashion, right? And, and workwear. It's, it, it's a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, this is mostly outdoor focused, but did, did you have a connection to the outdoor industry, even though Carhartt's not necessarily outdoor, traditional outdoor? Did you have a connection to the outdoor industry? I mean, just in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm born and raised here in, in Michigan. I live just outside Detroit. Um, so, you know, growing up as a Michigander, you spend a lot of time, as we say, up north. Um, so there's always plenty to do in the outdoors between camping. And I did a lot of like off-roading and, and that kind of stuff growing up. So um, in that in that sense, just kind of wearing it as outdoor gear, uh, more so for me, uh, only probably spent a total of about a year of my life doing manual labor jobs. So um you know, for me, it was always more of an, an outdoor thing and I won't get too much into it, but you know, that's, that's kind of always been the thing for us is that we're very much in a workwear space and have been since the 1800s, but, um, it's always served that double role, I think for most people, um, who are also, you know, 
outdoor enthusiasts. It's just as durable in the, in the woods as it is on the job site. So that's an interesting, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I talked with um, a, a recurring guest of ours, Dr. Rachel Gross. Um, and she's, she's kind of, she's the one actually writing this, um, you know, this, this paper and soon to be a book that, from buckskin to Gore-Tex. And, and she's kind of looked at the outdoors and people's relationships to the outdoors and, and for a lot of people, 1800s, right? The outdoors was work, right? That's where you would go to work. Um, and so there is like a natural connection between workwear and outdoor products, right? Because the outdoors, I mean, so much, you know, that labor happened in the outdoors, right? Whether it's farming or ranching or wh- whatever it might be. So I think it's yeah. an intersection. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, with Car- in Carhartt's case, you know, the, the formation of the the brand with Hamilton Carhartt in, you know, the 1880s was the railroad. I mean, that's, that's where we started. That was our, how the company first started was essentially him working as kind of a traveling salesman and, you know, interacting all the time with these railroad workers and them kind of telling him where their gear fell short and where it wasn't, you know, designed for them and where it would rip and where it didn't have the right pockets and all that kind of stuff. So his initial, you know, impetus for starting the company was saying, huh, well, you know, can I create something using this, honestly, consumer research, you know, consumer insights, as you'd say, you know, today, um, to build something that's high quality and purpose built. Um, so that was how it always started. And obviously extremely rugged conditions working on the railroad um, to start and then expanding. And, you know, especially as you got into the 1900s, focusing more on farming and the trades and, <clears throat> you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, definitely actually one of the first real world photos that I was able to find of someone wearing Carhartt, you know, that wasn't our kind of, marketing stuff of the time was, um, some, uh, image I found in the library of Congress that was, you know, a, a railroad construction going on in Alaska in about 1915. So, wow. you know, that was, you don't get much more rugged than that as far as your, your work gear having to deal with the outdoors. So, uh, yeah, definitely totally it, agree. It, it reminds me of kind of a similar story, I guess, to like a Filson, right. An outdoor outfitter right? Outfitting people to go and, and along the gold rush, right? Like that was the motivation for them. It wasn't like, we're a true outdoor company. We are workwear. Like we're helping these people go to the, to these really hard tasks, right? It's like mining for gold or building the railroad. It, it is interesting how that connection between work and, and the outdoors and, and uh, it, it is interesting because it's like, see, these are some of the established um, longstanding companies that, I guess we would consider outdoor companies and some, some, there's some of the oldest, um, which, which is interesting. Those ties back to the railroad or the gold rush or these big, big events in the country, but how did yeah, you definitely, Oh, go Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, another thing about Carhartt too, was that, you know, obviously always started as a workwear brand first and foremost, but I mean, all the way back in 1930, we had an entire line that we released called Superducks, which was specifically designed for the outdoors. So mm. even, even in the, you know, somewhat early years of the company, there was an entire product line created for hunting, fishing, camping. Uh, I want to say there was even like one or two products that were like golf, you know, golf, mm. even like golf, like outdoors stuff. Mm. So um, there was even a recognition early on that, you know, our consumers were the type of people that would be doing that kind of stuff. So the idea of purpose building water repellent and all that kind of, you know, waxed products and that kind of stuff was definitely something that 
was part of the the early history of the company too. I, I think it's really interesting companies from that time or slightly after like an LL Bean or an Eddie Bauer, um, even Filson, right? It's like these are all the names of people, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting that um, back then, like you bought stuff from someone you knew and trusted, right? Like yeah. that name brand like communicated the this trust, this loyalty. Um, it's really interesting. I don't know if you have insights or thoughts into that, but I think it's interesting that around that same time period, it, it was people, right? Who were making these products and, and their name be, eventually became trusted and now have become these, you know, massive brands. Yeah, definitely. You know, for us, it's, it's, I can't speak so much to, to other brands, not having maybe like, you know, the, the deep knowledge of the, you know, early marketing and stuff that I do of ours, obviously, but um, it's actually come up quite a bit lately because when, um, the pandemic started, we really shifted a lot of the way that we were talking to our consumers away from selling, you know, to really, you know, establishing this thing where, you know, what traditionally you would call your influencers, we don't really like that term. Um, we call we actually sort of branded that as our friends of Carhartt. And that was, um, something that we've been working on over the past year. And so a lot of the insight that I've provided for that initiative comes from our early years and the language that was used by Hamilton Carhartt and by our marketing and like even newsletters that, you know, you could get at your local retailer when you went and bought Carhartt and it was a couple year period where we actually had these consumer facing newsletters they could pick up and read. And so much of it was focused around this idea of friendship. Um, like one of the quotes we always throw around from Hamilton is, he said, when I make a sale, I make a permanent friend. And that was so much of the way that he wanted to position himself. Um, and it appeared all the time in, in our marketing, you know, this idea of friendship and trust and, you know, coming from the, the quality of the garment, you know, that, you know, it's going to last you a long time and all that. Um, kind of in a way I see it all the time with stuff we get back from consumers too, where they'll honestly, we'll have people send a jacket back to us that's completely trashed because they couldn't like bring themselves to throw it away. Most usually the letters will say something along those lines. And you see that it's almost like because you're doing this hard work and you're providing for your family and probably, you know, keeping your family farm alive or something like that. There's like a friendship you almost have with the clothes because it's kind of your, your armor when you're doing the things you need to do to get the job done. Um, so people develop a real interest. I never would have thought that before kind of getting into this and reading all that stuff that comes in, um, that they had, people would have such a connection to a, to a piece of clothing, um, which is really cool. Well, I think the way that we look at clothing is so different, right? Because like you said, it's that clothing is their armor, right? It's, it's in some ways and in some of the other, you know, categories that we get involved in, in our program, like, some of your clothing is personal protective equipment, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. climbing or, you know, in your cold weather environments, like this stuff, it's life or death, right? And right. In, the, in a work environment, it is protection, right? So that, oh, that yeah. is super important. And that's, those are stories too that we get, you know, that I have in the archives, whether it's a letter someone wrote us or things, you know, people have pulled over the year from newspapers or something where um, someone, you know, I remember one where someone was, you know, gotten an accident on their snowmobile and was thrown from their snowmobile and they were, you know, couldn't, couldn't move, couldn't get up. So they were stuck in the snow for hours and they like wrote us to say, you know, I, I, my life, I owe my life to my Carhartt coveralls or whatever they were wearing because they kept them warm while they were in that situation or somebody having the fabric getting 
you know, gumming up a machine that's about to yank their arm into it or something and writing us and telling us like, had, had I had a, you know, thinner jacket on or a less heavy duty fabric on, I might, you know, be missing a hand. So it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's not hard to make that connection to, or to, you know, really realize the connection that people have to the, to the clothing. Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit, but I I think it's a good transition point, but I, I think with archives, um, those types of stories and with the long history that you have like this, you've got, you know, hundred plus years of history with people and stories and, and, uh, you know, brands would kill for that, right? Like Mm -hmm. that level of authenticity and this track record and, um, you know, just the, the loyalty and what this brand means to people, right? It's like, you can't replicate that. And I think that's one of the key values of, of having an archive, right. Is to be able to, to just take care of that, um, that perception, take care of that, um, those stories. Cause you, you can't replicate that. I imagine you encounter that every day. That's, that's gotta be a huge value for having a collection within a brand like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one, one thing I talk about a lot, you know, when we're talking about marketing or new product development or something and the way the heritage can be involved is, um, you know, a brand, any brand can come out and say like, you know, we're, we've always been committed to this, or this has always been the foundation of who we are and all that. But if you don't, you know, if you don't have the archive and you don't have those documents and the ability to, you know, hopefully have someone to, to do the research and, and all that kind of stuff, then, I mean, you, you, that's how you back it up. You know, I, I, when we make claims like that, it's like, well, you can just come to me and I can show you the, <laughs> the materials and the, the product and the, and the, the marketing and the people's stories and things that we put out to say, you know, it's not just, we're not just saying that it's right here. You know, it's, I can show it to you. Um, so people have been uh, very appreciative and I don't, you know, if you were going to get into it, I don't want to preempt it, but um, just the things that I've noticed since I came in, cause there really was no formal archive before, um, people in so many different departments, you know, within the company and then our consumers too, you know, that I do interact with, um, they're just so appreciative to have that level of knowledge and detail to be able to tap into. I think people see through that, right. They see, I think customers are more savvy than ever. Right. And mm-hmm. they, they can see through a fake, right. They have enough information like, the internet is the the great leveler, right? It's like we all have information, and we can we can find out, you know, what a brand means or what they're about. And again, it's just you can't replicate time. You know, you mm-hmm. can't you can't you can't make that up. A hundred plus years of history and connection with people, um, and there's not that many hundred year old brands out there, right? There's there's not that many fifty year old brands out there, and that right, thing, yeah, um, which is which it just goes a long way, and 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 then an added level to that, right? Like having the commitment to, you know, you can be around for a long time, which is an accomplishment in of in and of itself. But if you have the stuff, right, to back it up and actually mm-hmm. tell those specific stories, like you are, that's another level. Um, which I think what's interesting. Incredible. What's interesting too is that as as I've seen, you know, and I think more in recent years too, is that you know companies like Carhartt that are that old and and can have that history to back up what you're doing now or inform it or provide insight or what have you. Um, I really see like younger, you know, I've seen being in the kind of the corporate archives community, I've seen younger companies making an effort now to do this kind of stuff. I mean, even relatively new companies. Um, 
I think when you see an older brand who, you know, has that documentation of its history and, and where it came from and all that, that translates to anybody, you know, a, a brand new startup, you know, there's, there's something to be said for, for having this idea, um, from the beginning to document and, and to, to save and, and to, you know, keep all those things because you know, they're going to be important down the road. And that's an interesting thing with my job too, is as much as I get to deal with the cool old stuff with the heart shaped buttons from back in the day and all these really neat historical things, I'm always emphasizing to the people now and, and new product and, and, you know, innovative new things we're doing now with new technologies and all that, that it's, it starts to get a little daunting because you're trying to make sure that you're, you know, catching, catching all that too, uh, at the same time. Cause you know, 50 years down the road, that's going to be important too, or even 10 years down the road, it's going to be important. Right. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, something I was going to mention, and I'm glad you brought it up now. Um, it's a topic that I bring up with other corporate archivists and, and companies. And, um, it's like, how do you preserve that, that material that is going to be history? Right. And I know I, I talked with the Burton archivist and he actually has to buy, one of every product as it releases so that it gets to him, right? It's kind of the burden is on him to make sure that he gets all the material that's coming out. And and I think there's kind of, I imagine there's more of a renewed focus on this. I don't know what's really driving it, but part of me feels like the collaboration culture that exists now, like so many brands are collaborating and you've got limited releases and, you know, these, you've got, you know, just small runs of product that are launching. I, I imagine companies are recognizing, oh yeah, like, we need to hold on to one of those, right? It's like, cause it's this limited thing. It's, um, yeah, I think I was, I was talking with someone in a, a major sportswear company and they said, yeah, we, we didn't start like holding on to new product that was releasing every year until 2013. It's like, we just weren't doing that before. Like we didn't have the infrastructure or the systems in place to, you know, take one of everything and send it straight to the archive. So what, what does that look like for you? How, how do you, is that burden all on you to go and gather everything or, you know, is there a physical collection of items as well that you're getting one of everything and, and, and preserving the, the objects as well? What does that look like to preserve new, this new history that you're producing every day? Well, the short answer is it's very tough. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, you know, it's, it's, and I can see it just, you know, I've always seen it just going through our catalogs over the years, you know, and it's just, you know, the page count just gets higher and higher every year, yeah. you know? So you're, you're producing more every year. You don't know what is going to be um, worth saving too. you know, something might come in for a year and, and then go out and it's like, well, is this really historically important? So as you said, for sure, the collaborative stuff, the special edition stuff, the limited releases, that's kind of the easy part. Um, that's, that's the part where people tend to think of you more too, um, tend to think about the archive more when it's something just over the last few years, we've done several collaborations, um, with Guinness, with Guinness product and actually did one uh, last year with, uh, some logos from their archives on our stuff, which was, you know, of course, very close to my heart, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've done, you know, we did a line with Hurley, um, 
over the last, I think it was last year or the year before. Um, so those are the kind of things where people will tend to like think to reach out to me to say, oh, we should get Dave, you know, the, the set of this stuff. But it feels like more know, of a moment, I guess, for people, right? It's like, yeah, anything, you know, a new iteration of a product is just like, well, that's just another season, right? Where, yeah. Oh, this is an event, right? This is something mm-hmm. new and different. Yeah, I really try to focus my effort because it is it is a lot on me for the normal mainline stuff. Uh, and of course, I'm just one person and we're getting a um, we're going to be opening and moving into a, a, a new our first purpose built archive space in which I was able to, you know, later this year where I was able to plan for the future a bit. And, and you know, uh, you, you try to avoid that question of, well, how much stuff do you have? How much room do you need? I go, well, I don't want to tell you how much I have right now. Cause <laughs> this, this is a, you know, we need to build for growth for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to, uh, I just try to keep abreast of like new technologies we might be putting into garments. Um, we've done a lot lately with, um, upping the, the warmth factor on our cold weather gear, um, over the last five to 10 years, we, you know, had this big new product called force that was, you know, a dry fit type technology, those kind of new things that are, are definitely out of the box are what I try to focus my efforts on. And then I just kind of lean on our merch team, our merchandising team each season to kind of get their thoughts on like what we should keep. And the, and the good thing is kind of good and bad is that our, one of our current design leads, she's, um, she was sort of instrumental back in the nineties of really establishing the the product design, formal product design department at Carhartt. So she's a real pack rat and, and that department has a lot of stuff saved. So it's sort of like, uh, I kind of know that they're saving a lot of stuff and, you know, eventually when we have this new space and things, we'll be able to do a better audit of, you know, what we should save out of her pieces. But yeah, it's, it's tough too, with so many iterations of everything too, you know, there's so many prototypes done and, you know, it's, it's, do you, do you kind of save the whole process? Do you keep the finished, you know, the finished product? There's so many questions um, that you have to ask yourself all the time and, and you'll go crazy if you, you think about them too much, but yeah, I just try to catch this catch can, I guess um, probably not the best uh, archival uh, term for it, but yeah, the pipeline is really a lot on me. So um I just try to insert myself into whatever line development meetings and things I can to, to use my judgment as to what's going to be, you know, have some staying power. And then the other side of it too, that's a little bit easier is we have our chore coat, our Detroit jacket, our active Jack are all kind of, you know, icons within us and kind of the workwear community. So, you know, we've done some pretty significant redesigns on those and updates. So, you know, those are the ones I kind of always have on my list. When we do an update with this kind of iconic product, I always make sure to get, you know, a version of it post update. So I kind of have these sampling techniques too, that I use. Right. Well, the, one of those, one thing that you mentioned there resonated with me is this, this idea of you, you could, I, I don't know, you could agonize over everything that you don't have. Right. Or like, like there is a point where you just have to make the call. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about that with our collection and I'm not a trained archivist. I'm kind of more out there trying to gather the materials and we've got our trained archivists here who, who would do all, you know, do what they do. And I'm just rounding up material. But sometimes I think about it and I'm like, I'm constantly thinking 
there's collections out there that I don't know exist. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. that, that is a little maddening. Like I, well, and Chase, I, I wouldn't be to too, find, you know, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself either because you know, any, I would say most archivists would tell you that, um, that the, they definitely didn't learn the most out of getting their degree, you know, out of their, their coursework. Uh, I can speak to that for sure because I didn't, you know, I really didn't have any kind of background in textile preservation or, you know, so much of, um, you know, there's such a difference between kind of the archives education and, and the ideas in like within museums and stuff of collections management and stuff like that. So, so much of what I did focused on, you know, paper records and, and yeah. imagery, you know, and, and photographs and, and potentially some media, you know, multimedia. But, you know, when it comes to like 3D artifacts and clothing and, and collections, um, you're just kind of learning a lot of it on the fly, uh, which right. was you know, a lot of, a lot of what happens to me when I came to Carhartt. Right. Well, uh, along those lines, I know we, we kind of jumped over part of your history. I wanted to come back to it. So sure. yeah. how did you get into, like, what did you study? Where were you always interested in, in history? Like what led you down this path? Um, you know, I know you mentioned not even realizing that this was a career, um, something that you could do, like, where did that initial interest start for you? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've always, I've always kind of said in like the archives world, you know, I'm sure there are some, but, you know, it's not something you're running around your house as a kid, you know, talking about how you're going to grow up to be an archivist. Um, I thought it was, you know, fireman, astronaut, (laughs) archivist, right? Yeah, no, it's right in there. Um, I was always, the short answer is I've always been interested in in history. I have my um, Indiana Jones poster here on the wall right behind me, um, which was probably, I I always say that's when, you know, my dad sat me down and and showed me Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was probably the first like non, you know, Disney kids movie I ever saw. And I was pretty much smitten with history from there. Um, Come to, you know, of course, to my chagrin, find out that it's not all, you know, bull whipping across uh, chasms and, you know, stealing idols off of... uh, off of pedestals, but, um, yeah, I didn't really, you know, it wasn't until I actually got to college that I kind of, you know, to undergrad that I made the connection that, you know, this is what I should do for a living. I was always kind of one to flit from thing to thing and, and, you know, be interested in one thing one week and a different thing the next week. And it took me kind of into my first semester or two of undergrad in college, um, at, uh, at Michigan to realize that, history was what I should do. And I didn't know really what to do. So I just decided to uh, become a teacher. So I, uh, I became, a, um, I got my degree in undergrad as in education, secondary education for social studies and history and geography and all that kind of stuff. So uh, when I graduated, it was 2008, and uh, I wasn't able to find a job. So <laughs> I substitute taught for a few years, um, did some kind of odd jobs, uh, I worked at a kennel for a while. Um, and then I, I actually got a job. I decided to go back to school to get my MA in history at Wayne state university in Detroit. And I started working as kind of a minimum wage frontline job, um, at the Henry Ford museum, which was, uh, uh, here in Metro Detroit in Dearborn. And I grew up going there. My dad worked there actually during summers in college. My grandpa worked there as his career for many years. He was an electrician uh, taking care of uh, these historic homes and and electrical stuff out in uh, this area called Greenfield Village there. So I kind of had a history there and I worked there while I was going to school. And um, 
got my degree in history, my MA in history, and was actually pretty much a little bit too far along that track before I realized that archives was really my interest. Um, I saw an opportunity when I was getting my MA to get, um, you know, I could minor in sort of a subject area or I could minor in archival administration and then a few extra credits and you could get a graduate certificate in archival administration. And I was way too far down the MA path, writing my thesis and everything, um, which was uh, about uh, European colonialism in Southern Africa, which of course has a lot to do with what I do yeah. <laughs> now. Um, but uh, so I finished that and I got my degree in archival uh, administration, my certificate. And while I was getting that, I was offered a job with uh, a regional company that did all sorts of consulting and contracting for both digital asset management um, and corporate archives. Um, so I started working with them on kind of a different project and it started to be talked about among the, you know, in the office that they were talking to Carhartt and that Carhartt was looking to start an archive. And I'd always been a big fan of the brand. Um, I used to steal, you know, my dad's Carhartt clothes out of his, out of his closet um, and wear them. So I decided I was going to just try and lobby for that. So I wasn't a huge fan of the project I was working on. So I just started sort of wearing my beanie to work every day and kept asking our managers, you know, what's going on with Carhartt. And so in, yeah, in 2014, um, that company started a contract with Carhartt because they were celebrating their 125th anniversary. And they had, uh, I have to give her a shout out. Her name's Cheryl Poloni. She's the uh, executive admin for um, the, the president uh, of the company, Linda Hubbard, and then the CEO and family descendant, Mark Belade. Um, and she was always the one who was like the history-minded person. She was always the one that had go digging around in this closet for, you know, the stuff that was saved. And so she really was the driving force behind bringing in someone with, you know, trained archival background to do an inventory just of what they had. And that's really what I came in. I came in to just kind of inventory everything get stuff stored properly in proper archival storage solutions. Um, and it pretty quickly became evident that that, that couldn't be it. <laughs> uh, people were coming to me pretty quickly um, wanting to get, you know, historical insight for things they were working on or even just digitizing old ads and things like that. And so it pretty quickly became clear to me, you know, to lobby for this to become a permanent thing. And it wasn't too hard of a sell to the company to do that because they were really getting a lot of value out of it. So uh, long, long-winded story. I'm not, <laughs> I, I tend to tell uh, long stories, but that, that's kind of the whole, that's the whole uh, way it went. What, what year was that? Uh, that was in 2014. Okay. Um, there's a kind of a joke um, among some corporate archivists that, you know, when a company starts an archive, there's usually two reasons why either they have an anniversary or they have a lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. luckily ours was the anniversary situation, yeah. Yeah. but also in kind of typical form, uh, we didn't start it until that year. So, mm -hmm. you know, nobody's usually thinking that, Oh, we should probably get this going a few years ahead so that we can have all this stuff, you know, kind of ready to go for this big 125th anniversary. But right. um, it was awesome nonetheless um, to, to get brought in and, and be able to turn it into a career. So yeah, it, that, that is really common. I, I was talking, I interviewed the Gore archivist as well, and they started theirs, I think at their 50th. Mm -hmm. uh, but that does seem to be the, the common, common thing. Um, 
but it's it's really interesting how you were able to lobby for that and and it's a credit to like management for valuing that i'm i'm curious i imagine you think about that a lot right it's like archives are only possible if there's funding in place right like I mean, yeah. there's some companies that it's like, okay, it's, it's kind of an afterthought, like someone's doing it, it's a pet project, uh, but that person could leave, right? And then all mm-hmm. that institutional knowledge leaves with them and process. And, and so there's like huge value in getting like institutional support, right? For, for something more permanent. I, yeah, know. definitely. I mean, that's really, I mean, it's a massive part of, of what it's all about. Um, I think it's, you know, a thing that's, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily unique to, to business archives, but certainly much higher on the totem pole of, you know, things you have to constantly be focusing on is, is that ROI that, you know, uh, making sure that you're tracking what you're doing and showing the impact that you're having and, and not just kind of people will come to you with requests, of course, specific things they're looking for, but, you know, keeping abreast of the, when's the, you know, what's, what are the initiatives with some new product line that they're planning a couple of years out? You know, what, what are we trying to focus on for marketing next year? You know, trying to plug yourself in, in order to say, oh, well, you're working on this. I have the specific historical story or, or product or, you know, or something. I mean, anniversaries are huge too, as far as the company, but also for us products. I mean, people love a, you know, I think in 2017, we had the hundredth anniversary of our chore coat and which was a date that was established by the archive. You know, it was, it was always just kind of referenced as sort of a circa date that it was established, but we were able to go in and find some ads that hadn't been seen before to, to solidify that. But we had that chore coat celebrating its hundredth anniversary. We had our, our K87 pocket, that Carhartt pocket t-shirt was 25 years old. And then our watch cap, our beanie, you know, the A18 that you see everywhere that, was turning 30. So we actually had this nice like watershed year, which again, that helped me sell the idea that we needed to have more history articles on our website, because I could say I can write up three articles about these different um, products that of course, we're going to be selling hard this year. And then when you put stuff on social or do whatever, you can link to this article and then you have a nice history with some images and fun facts that people didn't know, like, you know, the fact that our watch cap, you know, the most popular Carhartt item that you see everybody wearing, no matter who they are these days, um, is something that started off as a gift with purchase. It was a promotional item in 1987. And then here we are today. So those kind of fun facts are what keep people interested in, in what's going on. You mentioned uh, some of some of the ways that you, I guess, quantify your impact, right? Like, because so much of this is like speaking the language of of the business, right? It's like, what is Mm -hmm. the ROI of of an archive? Like, what are are there some specific things that you do to communicate that value? There's no question. There's value, right? If you if you Mm -hmm. just look at what you're doing, but how do you how do you communicate that to different people within the company who need to hear like that value communicated in different ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll start off by saying like, you know, in a, in a part of the business, I mean, I sit, you know, I sit and, and report up through the creative marketing department too, which is, you know, to some degree, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, KPIs and things you can do, but 
it, really it's it's the part of the business where it is a little bit more qualitative, right? It's a little bit more like how do you directly show that what you're doing is resulting in more sales or more brand awareness? I mean, there's ways to do it, obviously. You know, so for me, a lot of it started off with um, having a lot of involvement with our social media department. So that was a good way in which, you know, I had when we had specific heritage related posts or videos or things that we did, you know, you could take those numbers and and show, you know, and, and by and large, they performed very well. You know, people love to learn about the history. So it, it wasn't too hard to show that like, Hey, these, these posts and things are doing really well. Um, the other piece of it too is, just inserting yourself into those different campaigns or, or product lines, or, you know, if you, if you actually have something that you're selling that has a heritage influence where you actually worked with, you know, product design on developing it and it does well, then you can point to that and say, yeah. you know, this is having an influence on it as well. But the other thing too, that, you know, I, I have to admit, like, I certainly love the the sexy stuff, the outward facing stuff, but just as important is HR, new hire orientation, <clears throat> getting people a background in the company when they're new, you know, and may not know something and you have a resource to show them. So a lot of mine too, would just kind of come by collecting sort of quotes from people and, and feedback from, from new hires as to like, you know, how they felt that helped them establish a connection with the company, um, getting involved in employee initiatives and in events that we do to keep employee engagement, you know, um, through the heritage. Um, so it's a little bit more qualitative. It was kind of, you know, for sort of a yearly report that I do where I sort of outline the, you know, the, uh, different major projects we've worked on and the impact those have had. So it's kind of a little loosey goosey is the, is the short answer, I suppose. But, um, I really think, the most meaningful for Carhartt, and this is probably not the case with every company, especially depending on the industry, is getting the kind of you know feedback and quotes and testimonials from people that have worked with you and how they have seen it influence the work they've done and, and how it's informed them and helped them do a better job at, at what they're whatever they're doing. Right. What what was this I know you you mentioned that you really started the archive at Carhartt, but there had to have been materials around. What what was the state of things when you showed up? Like materials just in a box in a closet, stuff spread out all over the place. Like what 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 did you have to work with? No, it was a it was boxes in a closet. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I actually worked out of said closet for several years <laughs> um, until I started in it. You know, we had an internship program and I decided, well, you know, we, we probably shouldn't have to share this tiny closet. So yeah. I, you know, got a, a cubicle that was right outside the room. But um, that said, that necessarily isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I would say from what I've seen in other situations, um, it was pretty darn good, to be honest. You know, there was no leaking pipes. There was, you know, it was a relatively stable uh, environment. Um, but yeah, I always, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've, I've probably used several different terms for them throughout the years. But you know, you, you're thankful to sort of the archive champions uh, since the 1800s that didn't know they were archive champions. Uh, you had certain people who were who were pack rats and, and certain people, you know, that that saw the importance of saving things. So, you know, really, when I first came in, um, 
you know, there was some decent labeling on some of the boxes and stuff. So you just start pawing through everything and, and getting your Excel out and just making a big spreadsheet and trying to figure things out. Um, one of the, one of the funny things I would say was that I was so sort of naive when I first started that I'm, I'm sort of entering, you know, metadata information about the stuff into a spreadsheet and I'm using like different tags and I'm, you know, I'm tagging catalogs with like jackets, coats, belts, you know, like, this isn't useful. Like they're in every catalog. Yeah. Like, well, this isn't going to help me search or find anything. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the state of it was pretty good. It was pretty limited though. Um, from a garment standpoint, mm. um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that they had, which wasn't a ton was on display, um, in the lobby of the building at the time. And then there was a few sort of just random garment racks of, of things. So a big project for me as I was able to get buy-in and sort of get dollars, uh, you know, allocated my way was to say, you know, if we want to do this, we got to be out buying, buying stuff, you know, we need to, to spend the money to fill in the gaps. Um, so we went from that to, I think at this point having, 500 plus, you know, legacy garments and, and accessories and things like that. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't complain. People did, you know, a good job, I think of saving, uh, what was there and, you know, you, you start getting into that process of, okay, I know what's here. What do we keep? You know, yeah. and and I think that's another thing. That sometimes gets lost in archives too. With your average person, it's like, well, it's this big giant warehouse. You know, maybe you imagine Indiana Jones, big warehouse. You know, everything everything is saved. And oftentimes, the job of the archivist is more thinking about what to get rid of rather than what yeah. to keep. Um, in those situations, we've I mean, we've had that experience a little bit. We're we're trying to preserve mostly print materials and and have a, a large catalog collection. And so we've talked with different corporate archivists and about, you know, collecting duplicate catalogs. Right. And um, you know, a couple of the companies that I've talked to, they said, Oh yeah, we've got, we've got a, a, a full collection of ours, but we routinely get, you know, customers sending us old catalogs and we, we don't know what to do with all of those. So we just put them in a box and let employees take them. <laughs> but we're, and, and for me, where we're trying to build out a pretty robust catalog collection here, you know, I'm the first to say, well, send us your duplicates. So it, it, right. that, I imagine that's a constant battle for you trying to figure out what to, what to hold on to, what holds his historic significance, I guess, for the company, that's got to mm-hmm. be a tough call um, in certain situations. Is, do you feel any weight having to make that decision? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, less so now, but especially early on, I mean, I, you know, especially being a contractor too, at the time, kind of a consultant coming in initially and not actually working for the company like I do now. Um, I was, I, I wouldn't throw anything, away. you know, I, I didn't want to throw anything away. I didn't want to be the one to have to make that decision. It was, uh, it was hard. Um, and then you look back later and, you know, to your point with the catalogs, you know, you realize you have six copies of the same catalog and you're like, well, why do I have six copies? And what I found, you know, with that is, you know, there's certainly best practices for that kind of stuff you know, that you can use as a guide, but, um, you know, and a lot will be like, well, you keep a physical copy and then, you know, you digitize it and then you have, you know, your digital backup. And, and for me, you know, we've always had fun in different locations and different places, like putting catalogs on just, you know, if it's got a cool cover or something from back in the day, we'll put it on display. So, you know, I like to kind of, I try to keep two if I can, because, you know, I like to make sure I have a crisp, one in the folder in the box and, and one that I can, 
put on display if, if I want to. Um, but yeah, and it's, you know, the interesting thing too, is when you're moving out of a building or you're doing something and you're sort of trying to encourage people to save stuff or give, give you stuff, you know, that that's what you usually end up with is you end up with someone giving you a drawer full of catalogs when really in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I want, you know, do you have a folder full of memos related to a big project you worked on or something like the archives side of it is kind of the unique, you know, which is generally the difference between an archive and a library, you know, a library is something that's something can be accessible in many places. Whereas an archive, you know, your big focus most of the time is, you know, I'm, I'm the only source for this, you know, something that's original and, um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that quite answers the question, but no, it's, it definitely uh, does. yeah, we, we've kind of been pigeonholed that way. We're a new collection. Um, but I think a lot of people look at us and think we're, we're a catalog collection and we're happy to be that. Cause there isn't any other catalog collection out there that we're aware of, um, f- for this, you know, industry. Um, so we're happy to take on that title, but, um, at the same time I'm with you, I want to preserve, the mundane, right? It's like, I want the stuff that went into creating the catalog. Like I want, I want those memos. I want um, sketches of product and um, you know, and recently we've, we've had some good success talking to early employees from, from different companies and we've gotten sketchbooks, right. Of, of influential products from key brands. And, you know, we've, we recently got a, a balance sheet from 1968 from, from one of these outdoor brands. That's amazing to look at. We got the layout of, of one of their U S factories. And there were names mm-hmm. on the tables of like who worked at each sewing station, right. And what products were they working on? It's like that, that brings a level of humanity to, to the work. Right. Oh yeah. Which um, I find really interesting. So we're interested in that area of like, yeah. Give, give me the, the scraps of paper where you scribbled a note or did the napkin sketches. Give me that stuff. In addition to the catalogs, yeah. so we're, we're trying to grow. And, out and, and even catalogs too. You know, I have some, <clears throat> I have a lot of the catalogs I have are, you know, older ones are from one of our executives back in the day who saved them all. And some of the ones that he has are, are pre, you know, are ones that have scribbles in them like, you know, Oh, this price changed on this, or oh, we need to change. You know, this product description shouldn't say this thing anymore, or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's like okay, you got a catalog like that. I will, I will take a look at it, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, but we still have. You know, it's frustrating. There's gaps. You know, we have lots of gaps, and and a, a lot of the stuff that I know about the early years of the company has been research I've done on my own just through online newspaper repositories and, and, you know, going through archives of, you know, I have a, a, you know, a drawing, a digital version of a, of a drawing on these maps, they were called Sanborn fire insurance maps. And so the most detailed layout I have of our early factory is actually this thing that was done for fire insurance. It was extremely detailed, um, but I don't have that physical item in my collection. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, there's the side to archives that's taking care of the stuff that you have. And then, you know, especially in my situation, it's like, well, we, we need more information about the early years. You know, people would always talk about how Hamilton Carhartt said, you know, he started his business in this loft with like two sewing machines at Detroit and we never knew where it was. And so it's chasing back all the way to like the first want ad I could find in the Detroit free press for 
you know, women with sewing experience to <clears throat> come assist and, and work there at the beginning. And then it had an address. So now we know where it was. So, wow. you know, you're sort of playing a little bit of a detective work, um, which consequently ended up being the first mention of Hamilton Carhartt and company in a public facing, you know, something that was public facing. So it was kind of a dual dual thing. Yeah. I I'm seeing so much interest from companies in that type of material, right? Like, Oh, we want to know the first instance that we were, you know, our brand was mentioned in this publication or this product when, you know, there's plenty of companies that have come to us and asked, you know, do you know when our, you know, this product was first mentioned in this catalog? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, uh, there's, there's huge value in this work and more and more I'm recognizing that people are starting to wake up to, you know, brands are waking up to the need to, to do the work. Um, I just hope that we see more people in your position, right? More commitment mm -hmm. on the part of the company. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think I, I, um, with us, so much of it was just that, you know, you had those people who were great that saved some things. Um, but, you know, when you look back through, through what I have, um, you know, you just realize that like... <sighs> The idea of keeping stuff and doing that was, we just operated a lot like, you know, our gear is, you know, it was kind of, you know, and, and who our consumer is, you know, so much of it was sort of like, I don't know if a ton of stuff wasn't saved, probably because it was just put, put your head down, do the work, you know, get it done. And, and then, and then you move on to the next thing, you know, so, so much of that mentality, I think is reflected in, you know, what's, what's saved and what's not. And I think, you know, you're just trying to sell gear and keep the company and, you know, profitable. And if you can do that, then, then maybe you're not thinking so much about keeping every, every piece of thing, but, um, it makes the detective work more fun for me. So, well, I know that, <laughs> I know that's kind of the story of, of Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard. And I, I don't know this for sure, but I've heard a little bit that it's like, well, Yvonne is all about just the future, right? It's like, he's, he's not worried about what happened in the past. Right. But there's other people around the business who are like, no, but we really need to preserve this. So they mm -hmm. have an archivist and I, I don't know if you've met Val before, but they're doing some great things there. Um, but it is interesting that like that mentality of, well, I'm just making cool stuff that helps me go climb. Right. It's like, what, why is that historically significant? Right. There's kind right. of a mentality of that heads down. I'm just doing my thing. Um, I, I imagine there's a difference. I, I don't actually know a lot about the corporate, you know, the history of Carhartt itself in terms of, you know, being a family business and privately held versus sure. Has it gone through acquisitions or any, any major changes that way? Cause I know that's usually a huge disruption for companies is when they get acquired or when they go public, you know, that's when material starts to disappear, right. Or change hands. But what, what, it, I mean, it sounds like that's largely been uninterrupted. Yeah. We, you know, unfortunately never had to do that. There was, you know, a time or two, especially in the years of the depression and stuff that yeah. there was a danger of that. Um, for sure, especially when you're, you know, have always been sort of positioned as a premium workwear company. So, yeah. you know, when people have less money to spend, then it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, we've we've benefited, I think, from the fact that we've always been a private company and, and that our, you know, current, you know, CEO is, you know, a family descendant. So we're currently in the um, fourth generation, you know, of leadership of the company, but the fifth generation, all of his kids also work for the company as well. Um, so there's five generations of, of Carhartts in there. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's helpful to some degree. Um, 
we've actually even benefited a bit on the other side because we acquired some pretty large companies in the 60s um, and actually ended up getting some pretty important artifacts from their history too. So I, do, I have, you know, there was two companies. One was um, Headlight Overalls and another one was called WM Fink and Company, which is pretty popular in kind of the vintage uh, circles because they had um, some pretty, their, their sort of mascot on their ads was this pig. And uh, there's some funny old signs that of that company that are pretty popular. So when we took control of them, I guess somehow we also acquired like some of their you know, executive minute books from all the way back to like the 1800s even. So, you know, I, I kind of almost have it the reverse where I have some really nice, you know, albeit limited, some nice pieces of history from companies that we bought um, over the years too. So hmm. I think we've benefited from it for sure. The fact that we've never changed hands or went public or had that kind of, you know, um, disruption to deal with. Right. Right. Um I'm sure you're, do you, do you have eBay alerts? Like what are the things that you're oh, looking yeah. for that you haven't, haven't found? <laughs> what, what, what are the number one, you know, what am I looking for items? I find, you know, I I've built a decent amount of the collection out through eBay, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I think also that's, you know, in the sense of being the only guy doing it, it makes it difficult to kind of hit the road and, and really, you know, go to vintage stores and search stuff out. You know, I always do when I happen to be out of town and, and look for stuff and have people looking for stuff for me. But um, I just recently, you know, some of the most meaningful stuff to me and, and, and the coolest stuff has actually come in, I think, through different ways. Um, I had a guy recently reach out to our customer service department trying to get information about an old pair of overalls that he bought at a, at a store that actually were our older overalls that even had the overall buttons that had the little heart shaped buttons and stuff on them, which I honestly only had one pair in the archive. They're very difficult to find. Um, so he reached out trying to get some information about them and I was sort of helping, uh, you know, I was helping him out and I like to do that with customers when they just want to know something about something they have. But, and then I was like, of course I would be remiss not to ask you if you're, you know, looking to part with these perhaps. Um, so we ended up, you know, buying those from him, but yeah, I have definitely have my eBay alerts. Um, you know, you just kind of search for vintage Carhartt sort of go from there. I will tell you 100% that in the seven years that I've been, you know, almost seven years I've been doing it, that the amount of listings you get for a search for vintage Carhartt on eBay is probably eight or nine times now what it was then uh, yeah. judging just by our popularity and people, you know, knowing that they can get a decent chunk of change for selling something vintage that's Carhartt. But yeah, I use a lot of, um, you know, online, online sources to try and do it. Um, and also have had a few where, you know, folks will reach out and are more interested in learn history of a garment. And if they're willing to part with it, then perhaps they will. I think the coolest if, if I can for a second, the coolest acquisition process I ever had was um, there's a gentleman who has a uh, Instagram account and he is always posting about like vintage tools and stuff. So he goes out and searches antique shops and stuff for vintage tools. And he posted something about how he found this old Carhartt game bag, like a hunting game bag. Um in his dad's garage and, you know, cleaned it up and stuff as best he could and all this. And then a coworker of mine tagged me in it and I ended up reaching out to him 
you know, and asking him about it. Cause I didn't have any of that kind of stuff. And he said, it was this whole thing where his, his, uh, I think it was his, it was either his mother or his grandma got it for either his father or his grandpa. I couldn't remember. can't re- quite remember his age, but, um, when he got back from world war two, it was like a gift that she had bought for him and it just ended up sitting around and all this. And so it just turned in this whole thing where he actually ended up in the end, donating it to the archive rather than selling it to us because he um, was just kind of a fan of the brand and thought it would be cool to, you know, to have it in the archive. And so when someone donates something to us, I have special archive branded swag. I send them and they actually get a certificate of appreciation that's signed by both me and our CEO. Um, and then we actually put together a historical display in our store in downtown Detroit with this whole timeline and all this stuff with a section about our outdoors history and we put it on display. And so now it's there on display with his, his, uh, his, uh, I, I, I apologize. I can't remember if it was his father or his grandfather, but they're the one that's credited. Cause I asked him, you know, Oh, I, I want to give you credit on the display. He's like, well, give it to my, give it to my grandpa or give it to my dad or whatever it was, you know, don't put my name on it. So um, it was just a really fun connection where it turned into this great interaction with somebody. Um, so not, you know, not as fun as trying to outbid people on eBay and trying to keep track of when all your auctions end so that you can make sure that you get in and get that last push for something yeah. that you really want. Um I think that's really cool because archives, I it can, there can be this negative or this not negative perception, but there, they can, there could be a barrier, right. Between like, whether it's a university archive or government archive, corporate archive, like there can be a barrier between, you know, that, that keeps people from accessing or having a connection to the material. And, and that's why we started the, the Instagram account that we did for our collection is to reach people where they're at and where they're already consuming content. And, mm-hmm. um, we know there's a very active design community that we thought would really like the covers. Um, and I see that, you know, with you, like creating this very human personal connection with people and giving people that experience, giving them swag right from the archive, like developing a personal connection with people is, is, is really special and, and kind of breaks that barrier down that I think can exist between archives and, and people. Right. Um, yeah. Especially in the, especially in the corporate side of things, since by yeah. and large, we're, you know, not open, you know, to the public to come look at and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as another quick aside, I mean, we just, we have a lot of history, obviously outside of Michigan, especially in Kentucky, you know, we've been operating in this same small town in Kentucky or in Kentucky since the thirties um, and a couple other areas is that, you know, we might not be operating out of now, but there were Carhartt facilities there in the past. And, you know, so I've developed these fun relationships with people from these small historical societies of the town that are just super excited to talk about, you know, everything that, you know, and so many of the people that live there are obviously descendants of people that would have worked there, you know, or in the case of Irvin, these family names that have been part of the company there since the thirties. So, you know, they're always really excited to talk about the history and kind of give those oral history experiences that you can't get any other way. The stories, the, the, um, the personal connection, the, how it's kind of knit into the fabric of the community. Um, those are really important to me too, to try and preserve and make sure that, you know, the stories are captured before, you know, of course they can't be captured anymore. So, um, those are, that's a really important part of things to me too. Right. Well, I can 
like your excitement and interest in this work is contagious. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> get me on eBay. Let's, you know, let's, let's try to find it's a lot nicer work. when you have a corporate account to, to yeah. be playing around with. <laughs> yeah. We, we've been fortunate. We we've got a pretty good buying uh, budget. Um, That's good. We've been fortunate to have that um, as well. And our archivist is, he's got his alerts for different brands. Um, but we've been fortunate we've had plenty of people willing to donate materials as well. I mean, our collection started off with a donation of 1200 catalogs from wow. one individual. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how ours was, you know, really kickstarted. And well, I'll have to keep you guys in mind now when somebody comes to me with that, you know, fourth copy of a catalog I already wow. have and Please. I'll uh, make sure to put it, put it aside. <laughs> That'd be great. No, cause we, we really want to add Carhartt to our collection if we can. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited about what you're doing. Um, I know we, we've, we talked a little bit about, about, about more opportunities to work together in the future, which I'm excited about, but how, how do people, how's the best way for people to connect with, with you and stay up to date on what's happening in the archive? You mentioned you, you write some different stories about, you know, materials um, that are coming in, what you're doing, how, how can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, it's that part of it has been a little stagnant lately. You know, I won't go too deep into it, but we're actually doing a major overhaul of our website. Um, so that's that's something we're working on. That um, so I would say in in that vein, definitely stay tuned. Uh, I have a lot of grand plans for representing the history, especially with capabilities we'll have in our new space to film things and do better photography of some of the pieces I have. But honestly, the best way to keep in touch with, um, I guess, both my personal life and my professional new stuff that's coming into the archive and all of that is just to follow me on Instagram. I think that's the number one thing I would say. And it's, it's very easy. It's just archive Dave it's archive underscore Dave. And that's, that's it. (laughs) So you get to see uh, pictures of my dog who unsurprisingly is named Indiana and um, you know, our new archive stuff that comes in um, and then, you know, we, we here and there, we'll, we'll do some stuff on Carhartt's own social media outlets, but, uh, where you can catch up on sort of what's been posted already is, uh, on carhartt.com on our main website, there is a discover history section. Um, okay. so if you go to that section, you'll be able to see all the articles that have been posted thus far. And hopefully, um, in the near future, it will be, um, you know, fully and and without any restrictions open to the public. But we recently just completed on the second floor of our store in downtown Detroit, our flagship store, um, company store, we opened a place called the Carhartt Workshop. So among other things, it has um, a full timeline of the history of the company that includes kind of artifacts built into it. We have a Detroit lounge that has other artifacts um, from the history of the company in there as well. And among that, you can, you know, so if you're in the Detroit area, you can, you could see that. Um, And they also have a tool library where you can actually come in and check out tools. uh, If you have a project you need to work on for free. Uh, and we've just got all sorts of plans that, you know, COVID threw a wrench into for community engagement and forums and history lessons. And, uh, Wayne state university in Detroit has 
one of the biggest labor history archives in the world. So we're hoping to do things with them about, you know, labor history and and blue collar work history and, you know, with the trades and farming and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a couple different avenues you can go down, but the, the newest in the archive, you'll, you'll be able to see through, uh, through my Instagram. That's great. Well, and we'll link to those resources as well. Cool. So Dave, this has been awesome. This is a fun conversation. We could go, I know both of you, you and I like to talk about this, so I'm sure we could do it <laughs> and go even deeper, but yes, great. I would be remiss not to say any, but you know, if you're listening and, and you're, you're interested in history and, and uh, you know, you're, you're someone who's in school or something like that. Don't, don't let the, you know, fear of the job market in that field weigh you down. There's a lot of different ways to, to break in, whether it's archives or, you know, information science or history teaching or all that, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work with students and I just always want to make sure to, you know, keep the, keep the spirits high. There is, there is a way you can do it. (laughs) Yeah. You're proof that you can blend your interests, your passions and your career. That's definitely for sure. And get, and get some pretty nice discounts on the gear you need when you go camping or uh, working in the yard or working on the house. So (laughs) amazing, Dave, thanks. This has been great. I appreciate you taking time. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.